Hello and welcome to the Nature Unplugged podcast, where we are all about cultivating consciousness in the digital age. Let's get going. Super excited for the show today. We have a uh, very special guest, Dr. Larry Rosen. Larry, thank you for being here, Dr. Rosen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. So before we jump into it, I'm gonna I want to give you I want to give everyone your bio because it's very impressive. I, uh, yeah. Can I edit my bio as you're saying it? <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, ready. Dr. Larry Rosen is professor emeritus and past chair of the psychology department at the California State University, Dominguez Hills. He's a research psychologist with specialties in multitasking social networking, generational differences, parenting, child and adolescent development, and neuropsychology, and is recognized as an international expert in the psychology of technology. I'm going to keep going. Over the past 30 plus years, Dr. Rosen and his colleagues have examined reactions to technology among more than 100,000 people in the United States and 22 other countries. His latest book, The Distracted Mind, Ancient Brains in a High-Tech World, highly recommend it. We'll talk more about that won the Prose Award for Neuroscience in 2016. Dr. Rosen has been featured extensively in television, print, and radio media, and has been a commenter on 60 Minutes, The Daily Show, Good Morning America, NPR, and CNN. Dr. Rosen has four children, including one in the I generation, one in the net generation, and two in Generation X, and three grandchildren to watch growing up with technology. He lives in San Diego, California, and for fun, he creates works of art from a combination of old computer technology clocks, and early rock and roll music. In his free time, he enjoys reading international intrigue novels, fiddling with his newest geek toy, going to independent films, and trying to find ways to keep his humanware safe from all the hardware and software vying for his attention. His website is drlarryrosen.com. Can I edit a little bit? Yeah, edit. So for people who don't know, emeritus is Latin, and it's just Latin for old fart. (laughs) No, it's Latin for meaning I'm, I'm done with my job, and now I'm super special. That's right, yeah. It's a high honor, it's a high honor. So th- I mean, so thank you so much for taking the time to be here, really sure. appreciate it. We've been following your work for a long time, and, and, uh, and I'm excited to get into it. So, you know, as, I, as we said in the, in the intro, the bio, you've been doing this for a while. Uh, how did you get into this work, or when, and how did you get into this field? Way back in 1984, um, way before any kind of computers that, as a common theme in our life. Um, a colleague and I were going to teach a class on statistics. And we got very excited because we were going to teach the students how to use a punch card machine. Nobody remembers punch card <laughs> machines. How to use a punch card machine to punch their cards, how to feed them into the computer. And the computer would do all the calculations for you. You didn't have to do any calculations. It would spit out your answer and boom, you had it. First day we had 32 people in class. The next day we had 16. And we thought, well, we were pretty dynamic. Uh, we shouldn't have scared everybody away, or at least half of them. So we contacted them, and, and to a person, they said they were afraid of computers. Hmm. So we started studying something we jokingly called computer phobia. You have to remember 1984 is just when desktops started to come out and um, when the Macintosh came out, and not very many people had computers at all. 
And the research had shown that they were afraid of them, that they had a phobia towards computers. And as life changed um, and more technology came in that morphed into technophobia and then mm -hmm. technostress, and I wrote a book on technostress back in the 90s, and then um, techno hassles people talked about. And now we don't talk about that. Now we just talk about obsession and addiction to technology. Yeah. What a wild thing. So you were like right right in the very beginning. I was born in 1984 to give some context. But, so I, I remember the old, the old Max way back. I was born in 1950. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, so so I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's been incredible to watch this. You've been in studying this from the very beginning. You know, what? Are, what's the difference? I mean, it's obviously way different now than it was then. But what are some of the the differences that you've seen? Well, you know, it's interesting. For a long time, um, computer phobia and technophobia seemed to cover it all. People were, were afraid. Um, they'd have their kids set their VCRs for them because they didn't want them to blink 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock. First of all, nobody even remembers what VCRs are, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but people were afraid they were going to hurt the computer, hurt the VCR, hurt the TV, whatever. Um, the biggest change that I've seen, there are actually three that I consider major game changers. First is when we got the World Wide Web. Yeah. And that kind of piqued everybody's curiosity because you could now ask any question and find any answer. Well, almost any answer. Back yeah. then, back then you'd do a Google search, and even before Google searches, you'd do an Alta Vista search or something, and you'd maybe have twelve hundred hits. Now you have twelve million hits, because obviously the World Wide Web is huge. Yeah. But it did give you the idea that you could start asking any questions, you could contact anybody, any place, you could get on bulletin boards and discuss things with people. I was on Usenet for a long time discussing things with people. And it was just challenging and fun. And then probably uh, a couple decades later, there was the introduction of social media and the smartphone. And together, those things changed the world. The smartphone changed the world because you now had a computer in your pocket. Um, actually, not even a computer. You had a computer, you had a phone, you had a camera, you had... Basically, you had your all your toys in one little compact little device in your pocket. And then social media, because it took what, what we always call one-to-one -one communication, email, yeah. um, into one-to-many. And the interesting part was it was one-to-many, many of whom you did not know. Right. So we started even studying MySpace. Um, one of our earliest social media studies was MySpace, uh, after MySpace had been out for six months or so. And started watching that change. And then I've just been watching how rapidly things have been changing over the years. And one of the things I like to say is that the technologies used to take 10 to 20 years to penetrate society. And by penetrating society, they talk about being used by 50 million people or more. Right. Now, things like, uh, like games that come up, Fortnite, uh, Minecraft, all of those take days to hit 50 million. Yeah. Days. That's nuts. I, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but it but it also is really fun because I have to say that talking about this all the time, writing books about this all the time, thinking about this all the time, doing research all the time, it's constantly changing. Right. When I start a class, I teach a class called The Global Impact of Technology. And when I start the class, I tell the students, here's my syllabus, but don't believe it because something is going to happen early to mid-semester that is going to change the focus of the class. And last time it was um, was all the political stuff right. that was going on, yeah. um, and all the interesting Facebook ads that the Russians put up, and I guess maybe it could have been the Ukrainians too. I'm not really sure about that. <laughs> um, but it but it it has morphed so fast that 
at the beginning of a class and at the end of the class, it doesn't bear any resemblance, which yeah. is really fascinating for me because I think it's something that is taking over our world and has taken over our world. And I think that not enough people are aware of the downsides of the ramifications, nor how they can even do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it, as you describe that, I'm, I'm aware of this, like iPhone comes out and there's some really great, some, it's amazing product, there's some great features. And almost it almost happens, or it almost happened, uh, like we signed up, we didn't really sign up for what we're now dealing with. You know what I mean? Like, like all of a sudden it's just normal to be responding to everything and, and to be engaged in all these different social media platforms. And it's, you know, it's a lot of this we didn't intentionally sign up for. It's really no, I think the interesting part, and, and maybe we can talk about this later, the interesting part is that a lot of the pl places that I place blame on for getting us into this, this area, and we can talk about whether it's addiction or obsession, what the difference is, but a lot of the, of the things that got us involved in this were created by companies to grab your attention. Um, there's some great books on the attention economy, yeah. one called Attention Merchants, um, one called Hooked, and just describing what it is they do to keep you sucked in. And um, it's really important because part of us got hooked not because of our own volition. Right. We got hooked because when we opened our phone, our phone screen, that somebody had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars creating an icon that would jump out at our face. Right. And if you don't believe that, by the way, change your screen to grayscale and now try to see what, what icons jump out. Nothing jumps out at you. Yeah, yeah. Once you take away all the color and the contrast and everything. So, and, and then once they got us there, their job was to keep us there. Right. So one of the things they knew that kept people there were games. So they gamified their websites. Another thing was um, keeping you there was things like streaks, mm -hmm. um, like uh, Snapchat's streaks, or yeah. now Words with Friends has streaks. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of things that they did, and all of them are based on behavioral psychology. Right. And all of them are based on trying to pick at that dopamine in your brain to give you a little squirt of pleasure, because what the dopamine does is it makes you want more and more and more. And that's what happened to us. Right, right. I mean, I think that's huge. I, you know, we can, we can chat about that now, more about the attention economy. And I think, I think it's it's absolutely important for us to understand like what's behind this, right? It's not, it's an incredible amount of resources, incredible amount of money and and studying and, and research uh, to kind of, from my understanding, undermine basically our vulnerabilities from a psychological perspective. Right, and and they were good at it. I mean, they've really honed their craft and they know exactly from psychology what will attract people and keep them there. Yeah. And that's their goal. Because the longer they've studied this, the longer they keep you there, the more likely you are to spend some money. Hmm. Whether you click on an ad and they get a little bit of money, whether you buy something from them, whether you do something in their game gamified area, doesn't matter. They'll hook you in. And once they've got you there, then you look at that app and it, picks your brain and says, ooh, this could be fun. And so you tap the app almost without thinking. Right. Yeah. And so that's essentially the attention economy, right? They, this concept that the longer you're on there, the, the more money they're making. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. What's the, can you talk a little bit about the difference between like, obsession and addiction when it comes to technology? Because people are throwing out there like tech addiction a lot, and but it's interesting to want to get into that, the difference between. Yeah. People tend to use those terms um, synonymously. Yeah. And they are totally different. So 
I look at it biochemically and neurologically. So let's take addiction first. We all know what it means to be addicted. What it means to be addicted f from the outside behaviorally is that you start doing something and you really like it. And so you keep doing it and then you find that you have to do it more to get the same feeling of pleasure mm -hmm. and more and more and more. And as you're doing that, you're ignoring everything else around you, mm -hmm. your friends, your family, your chores, your job, your school, whatever. You're ignoring everything. That's controlled by something called the dopaminergic system in your brain, which is a composite of chemicals, the most common of which is dopamine. Okay. Um, but also serotonin's involved, which we all know what serotonin is from, from um, drugs like Paxol and, and Cyprexa and things like that. Um, obsession is different. Obsession comes from the term obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay. And that's the, the way we link it. Yeah. It's part of obsessive compulsive disorder. And what it really is, is it's a totally different biochemical system. It's an anxiety-based biochemical system. So imagine that you are heavily invested, as most millennials are, in social media. And most millennials have an active presence on six or more social media sites. Yeah. So there's this social obligation that they have to fulfill. And as they're, they look at their phone and fulfill that social obligation, and then they close their phone up, now what happens in your brain is chemicals start to accumulate um, from this anxiety system, the most common of which is cortisol, and we all know what cortisol is, but also alpha, alpha amylase, GABA, a few other chemicals, and it's a, quite an uh, intricate system. Yeah. And what happens is these chemicals start to dribble into your brain and your body, and they start to affect physical changes, sweaty palms, um, sweaty pits, queasy stomach, blank head, mm -hmm. all those kind of things. And what happens is when it reaches a certain level, and everybody has their own level of anxiety that their body is willing to tolerate, it's like a signal that says, well, I got to do something to get rid of this anxiety. Yeah. So what do you do? You check in with your social media sites. Right. Once you do that, the anxiety goes down, and this is a vicious process. And we find that people, and not just kids, but you know, kids, millennials, older adults, younger adults, check their phones, meaning they unlock their phone, um, anywhere between about 70 and 150 times a day. Um, our research shows it's around 70. Yeah. Um, we use apps to show that. Other research has shown it's going to be up to 150 times a day. Now, you can imagine if you take, if you take say, and assume somebody sleeps eight hours. Yeah. So they're not opening their phone during that eight hours. Now you've got 16 hours. 150 unlocks, 150 phone openings is is humongous in 16 hours. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, what our research shows that about every 13 minutes they check in. Dang. And what are they checking? They're checking things that have to do with communication. Yeah. Always. I mean, like 80% of the time, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Whether it's their text messages, whether it's a notification that they got from social media, they're, they're checking something social. Got it. Got it. And this, I, I was watching, uh, or I read about, I think a study you did, and this is kind of along the same lines, I think you can, I'll just describe it, but you can kind of go into it a little deeper. I think it was, you had a, a large classroom and you, you checked, I think one of the groups you told them to um, put their phone away. One of them was put in their pockets and they, you checked every like 20 minutes or something like that. And they Okay, so this was that, a study. Yeah. This was study done by Dr. Nancy Cheever in our lab. Okay, and she had 160 plus students that came into a big auditorium. Half went in one door, and they were told, "Put all your books underneath the desk, um, turn your phone off, put it there, 
don't say a word. You can't talk. You can't talk to your neighbors. You can't do anything. Just sit there. Got it. We're trying to induce a state of boredom. Okay. The other half came in another door, and it was randomly done. You go this door, you go this door, you go this door. And they were told exactly the same thing, except they were given a claim check and said, give us your phone. Okay. So 10 minutes in, Dr. Cheever measured their anxiety level, and then 30 minutes in, and then 50 minutes in. And you can imagine how bored people were after, I mean, these are college students. And no one's talking. Nobody can talk. Okay, got it. We had to throw out three people. I think she had to throw out three people who who talked during it, but all the others follow the rules. So they basically just let themselves stew in their own brain. Yeah. And then we split people up into three groups. And a really rough way of doing it, we had a measure that looked at how much you you check your smartphone. Okay. So we did it into low smartphone users, moderate users, and high users. And we didn't do anything magical, just lined up the scores, cut them a third, a third, a third. Right, so there was no there was no means of doing this other than just low, medium, and high. Yeah, the low smartphone users showed constant anxiety, flat anxiety, no change over the fifty minutes. The moderate users, ten minutes in, no change. Thirty minutes in, they showed a change, an increase in anxiety, and then fifty minutes in, they showed that that leveled off. So basically, moderate users show moderate increase in anxiety, right? And but it stabilizes pretty quickly. Yeah. It was the heavy users that were fascinating. 10 minutes in, they were already more anxious. Okay. 30 minutes in, they were way more anxious. 15 minutes in, they were so anxious she had to stop the study. That's nuts. And that is really symbolic of what happens to people. What, what we see and the way they deal with it. So if you, if you are driving someplace and you pull behind a car at a red light, what happens? person has their face down they're looking at their phone and checking their phone <laughs> yeah and the yeah. way you know that is because when the light changes you have to honk yeah. to get them to pay attention and move yeah why are they doing that yeah why do people check their phone in a movie theater when they're not supposed to right it's that anxiety yeah it makes them do it yeah it's wild and it's strong and all the models that we've tested to predict coarse grays to predict um a good night's sleep all of them anxiety particularly anxiety about technology is the prime predictor. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so in, in terms of the obsession, obsession versus addiction, does it these people that are high users, would, would you categorize are these obsessed people, addicted people, or is it not? You can't it, tell from the study, can, but yeah. given that the anxiety was increasing, they're more likely obsessed people. Got it. And I don't look at it as an either or. I yeah. look at it as a continuum. Like on the left side is addiction. On the right side is obsession. And during the day, you fluctuate. I mean, sometimes some of the things I do, I get really excited, like during baseball season, I get really excited to, to open my phone and look at the Dodger score or, yeah, yeah. You know, or look at the summary of the game or watch the game. Um, but other times, I check for no reason. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's beckoning to me. It's right. calling me. Right. Open me, open me. So I open up and I, and I sit there and go, what do I want to do? Well, uh, I guess I'll check my email. Yeah. Or I guess I'll check my text or I'll do something or whatever. So... It's, it, it's not either or, and, and I think we all kind of fluctuate around a certain point that's our set point. Yeah. You know, a lot of young kids do it out of anxiety. Yeah. Um, a lot of gamers do it out of addiction. Right. Um, so you kind of find yourself along that continuum. Interesting. I want to talk a little bit about boredom. And, uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Phantom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just the... Because yeah, we, so my partner and I, Sonia, we work with a lot of families, or, you know, around this topic, giving them, you know, ways to uh, healthy boundaries with technology, and and 
and so forth. And one thing we promote is, you know, it's okay to, or we talk about is it's okay to feel bored. Uh, and I know you've done a lot of research on this. And, and, and now, as you're saying, you know, it's part of the steel. Like, we're not, particularly young people, but a lot of people are we're no longer bored. Well, we don't right. give ourselves the option to be bored. Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. I mean, it, yeah. boredom is interesting because boredom usually makes a certain part of the brain activated. Calms down the prefrontal cortex, which is your directive, your executive part of the brain, which is your focus, your attention, your impulsivity, your multitasking, all that stuff. Yeah. And what it does is it takes four areas of the brain and activates them simultaneously. It's called it's called the. Um, uh, it'll come to me. Yeah. yeah anyway, no, all good. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it'll come to me. But it but it's a specific area that that you pop into when you daydream. Okay. When your mind wanders, when you're bored. Yeah. It's it's a time of creativity. Right. It's a time of um, interest and excitement. It's a time when you get your interesting ideas. Um, it happens when you take a hot shower, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like your brain kind of kind of lets go. Yeah. And you're sitting under the shower and you go, creative idea, wonderful idea. Um, that's this this network that shows up. Oh, it's called the default mode network. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I knew it would show up somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really important, but we don't allow ourselves to slip into that anymore. Interesting. Because yeah. we have a device that allows us not to be bored. Right. And it follows us around. It's in our pocket or in our hand or somewhere close to us. Most of us don't allow it to be anywhere else for more than a few seconds. Um, and it doesn't allow us to be bored. And boredom's valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, essentially in that study, too, you were, you know, showing kind of what happens when... Yeah, when you get bored, you get anxious. Bored. Yeah, yeah. You get yeah. super anxious. I mean, it's because you're not used to it. Right, right, right. Well, and, and I have my students watch people walking around campus, and I have them chart, you know, like stand someplace and chart each person that goes by, and every single person is on their phone. Yeah, interesting. Every single person yeah. all the time. And they're on their phone talking to other people. They're with people and they're on their own phones. Yeah. Um, and you see this everywhere. Yeah, for you sure. You see this at restaurants. You see it at movie theaters. You see it at malls. I bumped into somebody. I had to return something, um, an Amazon return on my way here. And I bumped into somebody. And as I was walking purposely, not looking at my phone, and the person was looking at the phone. Went, oh, sorry. And it's like, he's looking at his phone still. He's never even looked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, this morning, almost, I mean... A pedestrian walked right in front of my car on their phone, didn't look in a parking lot, but it was like a very, it was a very close call. It's all over the place, all over the place. It's, it's There's bonk. a lot of research on that, by the way, on uh, people crossing the street and using their phones. Really? Yep. I heard that's actually in, I don't know where, but in certain, you can get a ticket for that, I think, walking. Uh, in certain places you can, certain places, yeah, yeah, yeah interesting. Uh, see, there's my phone there going we off, go. which I'll have to silence it. <laughs> I know you've done a lot of research also on this kind of concept of multitasking. And can you just talk a little bit about that? In particular, I think you've done a lot of stuff around studying, student studying, and just the impact of multitasking or, or attempting to multitask. So first, first and foremost, most of the stuff that we think is multitasking is not. Yeah. What we can multitask with is simple tasks. So I can walk and chew gum at the same time, for example, and not fall over my feet. Yeah. Um, but I can't walk and be on my phone and not run into a wall. Yeah. Um, so both tasks have to be fairly automatic to be able to truly multitask. What's happening in the brain when you think you're multitasking is your brain is allocating uh, and blood flows to a certain area, brings glucose and oxygen to that area. You know, your 
blood that excites the neurons and nourishes the neurons. They send, they send biochemical signals to other neurons and you start thinking about something. Right. Now, when you change your thought, when you switch, task switch is what you're really doing. Yeah. We can see in your brain that the blood flow starts to go away from where you were to a totally different area. Mm. And you are now thinking about something different. In the meantime, what you were thinking about over here on this side is no longer activated. Yeah. It's no longer got those neurons going. And so it takes you, and people claim that it takes you 25 minutes to actually return after you've task switched from what you were working on to what you want to be working on. Wow. Um, and so we, we look at it in the realm of students because it's just easy. Yeah. And we go in, we send people into people's houses, uh, middle school, high school, and college students. It's usually somebody they know yeah, personally, yeah. so it's not threatening. Yeah. And we tell them, we want you to study something super important for just 15 minutes. Okay. That's all super important. Um, like for study for, we give them examples, study for a test, for a paper you need to write, uh, for whatever, whatever you need. And then we say, we're going to watch you. We're going to watch you study. And we have a clipboard. And every minute we mark down whether they're on task or not. If they're not on task, what are they doing? We also mark down what websites are on their screen and stuff like that. We've stopped doing that because it's, it's irrelevant, right? Yeah. Um, what we found in that study is, first of all, there's no difference in the number of minutes out of 15 that people study, whether they're middle school, high school, or college, which is interesting. Okay. Number two, the average studying um, is about 60-plus percent out of the 15 minutes. We're watching them every yeah. minute. Yeah. They know we're watching them. Yeah. The average person studies for between nine and 10 minutes out of 15 minutes. Wow. And by the way, we've now started just having them have a friend observe them or even observe themselves in different studies. We always get the same number. Interesting. It's yeah. always between nine and a half and 10 and a half minutes that they are studying the out, of the, studying out of the 15. And what you see when they're studying is this kind of pattern of they study for a couple minutes and then they get distracted. They study for a couple minutes and get distracted. They study for a couple minutes and get distracted. And so what we're really looking at, and other people have done the same kind of studies, we're looking at an attention span of about three to six minutes. Wow. And you can imagine then if you have to reactivate that part of your brain, that takes time to do. So if you're only studying for three to six minutes and then you get distracted for a minute or two and then you try to come back to it, you have to re-energize what you're doing. I mean, you can't just jump back to the same word in the page of book you were reading for school. Right. You have to like go back to the beginning of the yeah. paragraph and read Where it, or maybe, or maybe the page before yeah. and read it if it's been long enough. Yeah. So we find this consistently, and we find that, that this task switching is just simply not a good strategy. Yeah. It's a, it's a poor strategy, and what it's been simulated in other experiments, these kind of interruptions that people do, and what they find is Yes, you can do as good a job as somebody who's not interrupted. It takes you much longer, and you end up with more stress. Oh, interesting. So it just stresses you out. And this is why kids stay up late studying. Yeah. Because they're always on their phones. They're yeah. always task switching back and forth. And they're always having to reactivate that part of their brain, which takes time and also just stresses them out. It yeah. releases those chemicals like cortisol yeah. that stress you out. For sure. That's, that's really interesting. And I think super applicable, too, to adults just in terms of productivity that get used to working uh, with a bunch of t like t a bunch of, a bunch of tabs open and that are unrelated stuff and switching from I, you know I find myself in that like if I'm working from home it's easy for me to 
look at, for me, it's like looking at the, the webcam, the surf uh, of, the, of the surf and, you know, checking that and then distracted. It always takes a lot longer. To well, and it turns out that there's been research on everybody. I mean, kids, yeah. um, people working in businesses, um, home workers, yeah. everybody. And it's always the same. It's not unique to it's always No, yeah. it turns out it's unique to our brains. Yeah. It's a human failure in our brains. Dang. Okay. And a lot of it. I mean, there's no, there, it, I wish there was like back history on this going back before smartphones, but there really isn't. Yeah. But what there is, is this idea that smartphones are probably the cause of it because of notifications, right. because of the colorful icons, because of a lot of reasons, which is what we're working on now. How do you get these, this task switching to stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good segue because I want, I want to talk a little bit too about what you what you recommend in terms of solutions, you know, like how to stay healthy and productive in a world that is so distracting. Yeah. And, and I, I wish I could give you positive answers. Um, but we've been trying out things Yeah, to see, um, if we can help people change the amount of time they, they multitask or they try to multitask, but also change their phone behavior. Yeah. So in, in one study we did last year, which we're in the middle of analyzing, we um, had millennial college students, average 25 years old, and high school seniors, average about 17 years old. <clears throat> we had them put an app on their phone from day one or close to day one in the class. And the app um, is called Moment, and it monitors the number of times you unlock your phone each day and the number of minutes you spend on your phone. Okay. It can get more detail, but we don't use the detail. What we were hoping is to have them create a baseline so we can watch over a period of weeks for the high school students, a period of months, to see their pattern. And then at some point, we introduced a strategic change. And we gave them a list of four areas that they could concentrate on, enhancing their communication, enhancing their focus and attention, Enhancing their well-being or enhancing their sleep. They were allowed to pick free freeform pick, which we're going to use now for the next study, what they picked. Um, but for example, enhancing communication, if they really wanted to, to be better communicators, they could um, set do not disturbs um, when they don't want to communicate. They could move all their social media icons into folders and move them to the last home screen and then embed the folders in the folders. Yeah. They could go to gray screen. So they would get rid of that color thing. They could turn off notifications. They just had to pick a couple to yeah. do. Um, uh, in the enhancing focus, we use something called a tech break, where what you do is you um, give yourself permission to look on your phone for one minute and on your computer for one minute if you're using one. Yeah. Um, and then, and you time it, and then you shut down everything that you don't need for work. Right. So you shut you shut down all the websites. You don't minimize them because the numbers still are sitting there. You shut down all the tabs. You shut down everything that you absolutely don't need, including your email. Yeah. Um, and on your phone, you just flick them all off so that they're gone. Right. So they're not going to be. And then what you do is you set your phone for 15 minutes. You turn it upside down in front of your face as a stimulus that you will tell you in your brain, you will get to look at me in 15 minutes or less. Okay. And then when that goes off, you give yourself one minute 
check anything you want, but only one. You have to set a timer. So one minute, check anything you want. 15 minutes, one minute, 15 minutes. Some point, the 15 minute alarm goes off and you go, wait, 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 I got to finish this paragraph or yeah, yeah, finish yeah. what I'm doing. Now jumping up to 20. Got it. 25, 30. I figure if you can get people to focus for 30 minutes using a tech break, then you go, ah, give yourself a two minute tech break in the beginning and a two minute tech break after 30 minutes. Yeah. And it works really well. I mean, I don't have any data on it because it's only anecdotal, but I talk about this every time I talk to teachers in classrooms, um, every time I talk to families yeah. about the dinner table. Right. Um, and they're using it everywhere and it works. Um, enhancing sleep, we talk about taking your phone out of your bedroom yeah. an hour before bedtime. Talk about doing things that can enhance your sleep, like reading a paper book, um, like listening to familiar music. Um, like watching TV, um, but only familiar shows, so your brain doesn't have to process as much. Yeah, yeah. Um, enhancing your well-being, we talk a lot about learning mindful meditation. Yeah. Um, so that you can, you can kind of learn to calm that stress down, that anxiety that these phones bring. So, we've got a lot of strategies here. Um, we used the strategies for three weeks and then went back to baseline. And and I we don't have the exact data, but I can tell you from looking at the data, it had no effect. Really. They went. What happened is their baseline yeah. showed they unlocked their phones about seventy times, you know, seventy times a day, for two hundred and sixty minutes maybe. Then during the during the manipulation for three weeks, that dropped a little bit, but then after the manipulation, they went right back to norm. Interesting. So what we are doing is we're collecting now screenshots from app from the iPhone screen time, or from Android's digital well being, and having the students send us weekly screenshots. That also that gives you also the amount of time. They spend each day, the amount of unlocks, where they go after their first unlock, um, the amount of notifications, where they come from. And so that's giving us kind of a richer picture of what's going on in these kids' minds Got it. and what's forcing them to do it. And I'll tell you that a lot of it has to do with communication. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. What are some, um, what are some ways, I know you talked about this, I think, in a... Uh, in a, in a talk, I think at Wisdom 2.0, uh, I, I believe, and it was, you were talking about ways in which people can kind of reset reset their brain. And, um, you know, I think you mentioned things like exercise, like like maybe mindfulness in that, in that talk. Are those, those things that can be effective for kind of doing it, giving yourself a bit of a reset? Yeah, one of the things, it's interesting, everybody knows sleep research and everybody knows that we sleep 90-minute cycles. Yeah. I mean, pretty much that's common knowledge. What they don't know is the people who studied that also studied daily cycles. Mm. And they came up with this idea of a basic rest and activity cycle, BRAC. And a BRAC is about 60 to 90 minutes. Meaning after 60 to 90, 60 to 90 minutes, your brain's too clouded. It's too full. Yeah. It's too active. It needs a reset. Got it. Now, someday we'll have a little red reset button behind our ear. That we can just press and poof, it'll clean our brain. <laughs> But until that happens, what we need to do is build in breaks. I mean, yeah. And there used to be these breaks. There used to be coffee breaks, cigarette breaks, um, and those were, were effective. Right. You take a coffee break, you go talk to people over the, the water cooler, they used to call it, water cooler conversations. You talk about the baseball scores, the football scores, whatever. You don't talk about your work. But there's a bunch of things you can do after 60 to 90 minutes of work that only take about 10 minutes to cleanse your brain. Yeah. Um, the most common one, the best one, is going out in nature. Yeah. Um, 10 minutes um, calms you down. And if you work in a heavy industrialized area, just go outside and stare at the clouds. Yeah, for because sure. Because that's, that's nature. And what that does is it just wipes your brain calm. 
makes you calm. Exercise is good. Um, in in um, elementary schools, they're having kids do jumping jacks, mm. just running around the room and stuff. Yeah, cleanses sure. their brain. I'm talking to a human live, but not about work. And a positive conversation works. Right. Um, reading a joke book, doing a crossword puzzle, taking a hot shower. All of these things, and, and everybody knows what kind of get, gets them that break that they need. Right, right. But you need about a 10-minute break every 60 to 90 minutes. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, your brain gets so overloaded, you just aren't thinking straight. Right. And I think, it, it, particularly I think in work settings, probably in school too, that a lot of those those natural breaks are now filled up with more technology use, right? It's, you're going from emails to Instagram or Snapchat or whatever Yep. Yeah, so it's not actually that's not really not really taking a break if yeah. you're doing that. If you're using your, if you're using your technology, you're not taking a break. Yeah, I mean, I always when I talk to people, I say leave your phone at your desk and walk outside. Of course, that freaks them out. <laughs> um, but but some people do learn to do that. Yeah, um, there was an article in a paper I read the other day that um, about a woman who decided to just give up her phone and she started with a couple hours, leaving it someplace, coming back a couple hours, and kind of got used to that, and eventually built up to where. She did, didn't even need her phone at all. Yeah, that's um, I don't advise that because we're so connected. I mean, a lot of people talk about a digital detox. Yeah. But we're so connected with the world and with so many people that, that will just piss off everybody in your world. Yeah, because yeah. Because they expect when they text you or message you, direct message you or whatever, that you're going to act exactly like you always have, which is to go, ooh, 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 and answer it immediately. Right, right. I mean, we're a little like Pavlov's dogs out there. Yeah. We we hear that ding, and we get excited, get a little squirt of dopamine maybe, and we check it, and we have to respond back, and then we have to watch those little indicator bubbles, make sure that somebody's responding back to us on our text message, <laughs> right. and we just stare at them. And then, and then God forbid, they stop. <laughs> the bubbles, go, yeah. What's yeah. going on? And we, and we so we we have all these attributions to other people yeah. that come from our rapid response patterns. Yeah. Those have to change. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you also have to tell everybody. I mean, my thirty minute tech break. I part of what goes along with it is you have to tell people, I'm going to check my phone every thirty minutes. So if you text me, I'll get back to you within thirty right, minutes. Right. Right. Otherwise, you'll just get slammed by yeah, text yeah. messages. Yeah. Yeah. Is there an emergency? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Right. That's you. A, how come you haven't responded? And then yeah. they go into the attribution. You must hate me. You must. Right. Yeah. You, I must have done something to hurt your feelings or something, which is all garbage. Right. Just creating the stories. Right. No, it's all. I mean, really, really fascinating stuff. And and I think right up our alley. You know, for us, a lot of it is just having not necessarily going on a big trip, but just having some sort of nature contact daily to, to take a break and reset yeah. is huge and that is the best and I mean I, I take a break every night and watch sunsets because yeah. I know that calms me down even if I'm at, working on my desk I have a standing treadmill desk oh great um, standing actually helps the blood flow to your brain oh interesting um, and the treadmill helps you exercise so I'm combining the two things at the same time yeah. I try to walk while I'm writing yeah that's great um, I can walk a mile or two an hour and just you know slowly lope along and, and type yeah 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 that's awesome well, do you, um, a lot of the folks that listen to our program are you know, parents or families. Do you have a few, a few like two or three tips that you'd give to? I know you've already given a few, but two, three, three, two or three tips that you'd give to families around wellness with technology. Absolutely. Okay. First of all, gotta have what I call technology-free zones. They have to be places where either technology is not allowed or it has to be done under a tech break kind of situation. So for example, the dinner table is a good one. Yeah. Technology free zone. 
because right now everybody brings their phones and puts them right next to them, yeah. next to their <laughs> yeah. fork and knife, and and they're you know they're anxiously looking or checking it all the time. Put your phones away. Halfway through dinner, give everybody two minutes to check. Yeah. Then put them away. So yeah. you have conversation. Right. When you're supposed to be playing with your kid, the areas that you play with young kids or or even middle school kids that you're, that you're hanging out with them, technology-free zone. Yeah. The television area, if, if everybody watches as a family, which they don't much anymore, right. but if you watch as a family, technology-free zone. Um, Outside of the television, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bedroom. Well, I don't even look at, te- at technology, at television. It's like a smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 yeah. We're not really using them that way. Yeah, for um, sure. The bedroom, an hour before sleep, should be a technology-free zone. Yeah. And that's pretty critical. So there's a couple. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's super. I good. also think that you need to talk to your kids about this on a regular basis. Um, if you have young kids, everybody wants to know, when should I, do I have to get my kid a smartphone? Mm. And the answer, my answer used to be, well, around 12 or 13. Then my answer became, whenever they tell you that, all their friends are on social media and you're missing out on everything. And that used to be 11, 12, somewhere around there. Yeah. Now, because kids are getting on social media earlier and early, it's down to like nine years old. Dang. And I have to say, if, if your kid is nine years old, you don't want to give them a phone. But if they say, mom, I'm missing out on all this stuff. You know, my friends are all talking after school. They're playing Minecraft together. Um, or Fortnite together. I'm missing out on all the fun. They're talking, you know, they're talking about gossip about you know, people right. at school. I'm missing out. I got to do this, please. And then sometimes I tell parents, let them use your phone. Right. Um, put restrictions on it. Let them use your phone uh, in a way that then gives you more control. Right. Until you feel that they have the ability to monitor their own behavior. Yeah. And that's difficult. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Great tips. Well, um, thank you so much for being on the program. I really appreciate it. We look forward to having you, maybe having you back someday, but really just um, we appreciate your work and pioneering uh, efforts and research in this, in this field. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I love doing it. It's, um, it's always fascinating and it's always changing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Nature Unplugged podcast. We would love it if you could take a moment to Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Uh, You can find our episodes on everywhere podcasts are available, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, all that. Um, Be sure and check out natureunplugged.com for more information and resources. And uh, we'll include this in the show notes, but drlarryrosen.com is where you can find some great resources and more information on what Dr. Larry Rosen does. Thanks. Cool. And you're about to retire. Congratulations. Thank you. But um, I'm only retiring from teaching. I'm still doing research. Still doing, still doing, yeah. The, still research, doing the, research, the research is really important to me. And also being able to talk to students um, about this. I, I mentor a lot of uh, junior high school, senior high school students who mm. email me from God knows where, say they have to have a mentor on a project or they have to ask me some questions on a project. Um, I'm happy to do that. It's one of the things that I feel like I'm giving back. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I get requests from anywhere from eight and nine-year-old kids on up to high school and college students. So it's always interesting. That's awesome work. Yeah, giving back and continuing to do this, continuing to do the research, I think is really important. Important well, to me. keeps me alive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and uh, stay warm out there. Rainy day in San Diego, kind of yeah. rare. Weird, but, but enjoyable for us. Yeah. All right. Thank you. If you think you should go, I 
will let you go. Oh, oh.